been waiting a long time for this moment to come. I'm destined for anything at all. Welcome to Pem Currents, the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Soboleski. And you know what? You've heard my voice enough over this five-part series. Dennis, I'm passing the mic to you. My name is Dennis Wren. I'm a pediatric emergency medicine attending at Children's National Hospital in Washington, D.C. And I have the privilege of hosting the final episode of a five-part series focused on the management of agitation in children. This podcast episode is a co-production with the Emergency Medical Services for Children Innovation and Improvement Center, whose mission is to minimize morbidity and mortality of acutely ill and injured children across the emergency continuum. Now, just a quick review. In episode one of this series, we discussed differentiating organic versus psychiatric causes of agitation in children. Episode two looked at non-pharmacologic management, and episode three covered pharmacologic management of agitation, Episode 4 covered management of the agitated child in the pre-hospital environment. And now we have arrived. We are at our destination, the place we know and love, the emergency department, to talk about what should we be doing for the growing volume of children with mental health problems who are boarding in the ED. Our learning objectives are to identify some of the reasons why we are boarding so many children in the ED and which children are the highest priority. We'll describe the challenges that they face as they wait their inpatient psychiatric care and describe best practices and what we should be doing for them in the meantime. We'll also cover some of the stresses that these children place on the healthcare system and possible alternative strategies and solutions. So let's start from the top. Why are we boarding? Well, this question is kind of complicated, and it's important to give the problem some historical context. Over the past 50 years, mental health has shifted away from hospital-based to community-based care models. Now, some of this change has been good. It's been patient-centered. There have been improvements in outpatient care and crisis care. There are also more choices for effective pharmacologic therapy. But other drivers of this change are less patient-centered, like budget cuts or the lack of reimbursement from insurance. And unfortunately, these changes have left patients in limbo, with the emergency department being the most accessible option for seeking care. Problem is, the ED is not designed to address this need. It leads to longer wait times for care and disposition decisions. And as current patients are waiting, more patients arrive. And this overflow leads to what we call boarding. Now, specifically within the pediatric population, there has been a steady rise in mental health concerns and suicide in children. These mental health issues were just made worse by the COVID pandemic, where many children lost family members, parents, and caregivers. And this disproportionately impacted children of color and minority groups. One study found that mental health emergency department visits for children increased by 8% annually, with 13% of those children presenting again within six months. 
they identified that patients with psychotic disorders, disruptive or impulse control disorders, and neurodevelopmental disorders were at higher risk of having these revisits. These populations may need to be prioritized in our efforts to address this problem. It's also important to recognize that the majority of children seeking ED care are treated at community sites rather than urban academic institutions. And as these sites face an increase in pediatric mental health visits, more efforts need to be directed at preparing community emergency departments to be pediatric ready. There are a lot of barriers that pediatric mental health faces. There are limited inpatient psychiatric beds for pediatrics. There's a shortage of child psychiatrists. There's limited access to outpatient mental health resources for pediatric patients, and also a limited ability for them to follow up after an emergency department visit for mental health. Now, this surge of emergency department visits creates many burdens on the healthcare system. From a purely fiscal standpoint, it costs a lot of money for a psychiatric patient to board in the emergency department. And depending on what space these patients are in, it can also decrease the capacity of the emergency department because these patients often require dedicated ED staff and even ancillary staff like security, safety technicians, or social workers. And all of this has a downstream effect as capacity and resources decrease in the emergency department that leads to longer wait times, higher rates of left without being seen patients, and it's stressful for the emergency department clinical staff as well. There are a lot of challenges while boarding, and unfortunately, the length of stay for pediatric mental health visits has increased. Let's first acknowledge that the emergency department is not the optimal place for boarding children with mental health concerns as they wait for bed. The environment is completely unpredictable. It's loud. There's constant interruptions. There's alarms going off. There's limited access to therapy. There's limited access to activities. And there's limited or no access to electronic devices, including cell phones. Now, I don't know about you, but without my cell phone, uh, that might just get boring. There are a few things that we can do to help these patients out while they are boarding in the emergency department. So here are some best practices. First of all, we need to try to optimize the environment. Yes, the emergency department is chaotic. So finding a separate area from the main emergency department, if that's at all possible, that has less distractions and loud noises and alarms going off and patients yelling, that would be ideal. And from a pure human rights standpoint, we have to make sure these patients have access to food and drink and snacks if possible. But in addition to that, we have to make sure to provide personal hygiene products, access to showers, clean hospital gowns or clothes, and a place to sleep with clean sheets, blankets, pillows, and as mentioned before, it can get pretty boring. So offering activities for distraction, including art projects, toys that are age-appropriate, approved television programming, and engaging with the child life specialists. If it is reasonable, allow these children to contact their family in a private space and make sure that medications, not just the psychiatric ones, are administered on time. 
It's also really important to maintain a schedule or routine because that prevents delirium. Now we have to keep in mind that oftentimes we're not taking care of just the child. The parents and the caregivers are there as well. So if it's possible, providing them a place to sleep if they are staying with the patient and the ability to charge their electronic device, these little things go a long way. We should also recognize that they will often have other responsibilities to attend to, whether that's work obligations or other childcare duties. So a visitation plan should be created to allow room for that flexibility. And a communication plan is also important because we want to be able to inform them of any urgent updates. Next, let's talk about assessing and treating these patients. So first, we have to evaluate for any medical conditions and needs and address those. We spoke about many examples of this in episode one of the series. And as there is also a rising number of children who present with substance use disorders, we also need to be aware of signs of intoxication and withdrawal. Staying in the emergency department for hours and hours and hours is frustrating. We should acknowledge the patient's frustration and be cognizant of signs of agitation. We want to be able to recognize and address agitation early on so we can minimize the use of restraints or seclusion. And remember, de-escalation is preferred because administering any physical restraints or sedating medications may mean that the patient can no longer participate in care, further prolonging their stay. And of course, we want to actively treat the psychiatric illness, whether that's with appropriate medications or therapy sessions conducted by the psychiatry team or with trained social workers. We're constantly reevaluating with the help of our psychiatry team whether or not the patient needs to be hospitalized and continuing to coordinate follow-up care if they are discharged. Observation units provide a space for patients who may need assistance with processing an acute psychosocial event that has them feeling agitated or suicidal. But after they work through that phase, they may be able to be safely discharged and avoid inpatient psychiatric stay. Careful communication around care coordination is important to determine which patients may no longer require inpatient psychiatric hospitalization and can be discharged to lower levels of care or outpatient resources. Now we've talked a lot about the barriers and the burdens that we face, so let's talk about some solutions. Having a child with mental health concerns bored endlessly in the emergency department is stressful for everyone. The child, the parent, the caregiver, the provider, and solving these issues requires engagement at the local, state, and national levels. There's no arguing that we need more crisis stabilization units, inpatient psychiatric beds, and funding for outpatient mental health resources. But until those changes happen, many solutions must come from the local level and require engagement from a variety of stakeholders, including hospitals, emergency departments, crisis centers, group homes, and local government officials. Now, some of these solutions can include implementation of telemedicine options, a school-based mental health service, integrating mental health services with primary care, 
mobile response teams for behavioral health emergencies, and expansion of existing services to include pediatric patients. Hey everybody, it's Brad again. Dennis, I cannot thank you enough for helping to produce this five-part series. I hope that all of our listeners found it engaging and entertaining, but mostly educational. As a recap, episode one centered on organic versus psychiatric causes for agitation. Episode two on the non-pharmacologic measures, including de-escalation and physical restraints that we use in the management of agitated children and adolescents. Episode three focused on the medications we use for acute agitation. Episode four was on the safe pre-hospital transport of the agitated child. And episode five, which you are now finishing listening to, talked about the child who is boarded in the emergency department, which is a problem that we are all facing. If you would like to learn more about Emergency Medical Services for Children Innovation and Improvement Center, check out their website at emscimprovement.center. You can also read PEMblog for more great educational content. Follow me on Twitter at PEMTweets or Dennis at DennisRenMD. If you have feedback for this or any other episode in the series, send me an email, leave a comment on the blog, a direct message on Twitter, a review on your favorite podcast site. Any and all forms of feedback are welcome and helpful. For PEM Currents, the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Podcast, this has been Brad Soboleski. See you next time.